0: What I believe the Lord is doing in this community and in this house is blurring the line between the heavenly realm and the natural realm. like Where his throne literally, not poetically or figuratively, but literally touches the earth. And you feel his lordship come over you. God in the room. And it rocks me every time because, as moved as we are by his presence, I feel like I could never express the delight that he feels for his people that give him their hearts, that give him their praise. It's precious to him, it's so precious. The love that the Lord has for His people is profound. He actually loves to dwell here. He actually loves to dwell and enthrone Himself on our praise. I don't know about you, but there is nothing else in this world that is worth giving my life for. I want that every moment of every single day. There is nothing else that could satisfy the longing in your heart but the glory of God Himself. Jesus said, The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl, of great price, gives all that he has to get it. There is one pearl of great price. And I believe for many of us, our souls are still searching, even though he's standing right in front of us, in our midst today, closer than the air that we breathe. And the invitation this morning is to receive Jesus The King of Glory, to be overcome by His presence, overcome by His Lordship and His love and His mercy over us as a house. Only you can satisfy, Jesus. Only you can satisfy. Thank you for your presence, God. Thank you for your word. God, I pray today that you would bring revelation, I ask Holy Spirit, thank you, spirit of wisdom and revelation to rest upon us today. Lord, would you stir a hunger in our hearts, a greater hunger for your word, a greater hunger for the revelation of the Son of God. Jesus we just prepare our hearts and open our hearts this morning let it be like good soil to receive the seed of the gospel today thank you for your presence here lord we bless you and we honor you in Jesus name in Jesus name amen wow It is an incredible honor and privilege, as always, <clears throat> excuse me, to get to share the word with my family um, with this beautiful house. Um, I really treasure not just this building, this place, but the the people that God has brought here i'm eternally grateful for this community, for this house because my life was forever marked and changed in the presence of Jesus and by the gospel, but it really is this community that was quite literally the soil that um, helped me to grow and thrive um, in my walk with Jesus and continues to do that every moment of every day. And uh, I really want to encourage you to value community, not because I'm telling you to, but because Jesus really values it. And he's designed it in such a way that I really believe like what we experienced here, there's a, a corporate anointing Um, on On the corporate gathering when we worship and praise together that is unlike anything we could experience in any other context. And it's because that is what is happening in heaven right now. Heaven is filled with unceasing prayer and worship before the throne of God. And I love in, in Revelations 5, like Con mentioned, just before the song of the the Lamb is sung, and it talks about the, the golden bowls full of incense, which is the prayers of the saints. That even in this moment of us worshiping, of us praying, of us giving glory to the Lord, is quite literally being infused with the worship and the glory that is happening in heaven. That's why I say that that's... That's not just an earthly thing that just happened right now. That is the glory of God, the, the line between heaven and earth um, blurring, where the, the worship of the saints comes together with the worship of the heavenly realm because Jesus is worthy. I want to share a little bit today, um, just a little bit more about what we have been sharing a lot about over the last couple of weeks if you've been here. And that's really just about ministering to the Lord um, and how we were born, designed, shaped, and formed to live before the face of God every single day of our lives. That is your created purpose, to live before the face of God. And uh, I think a lot of what I want to say today, a lot of you have probably heard before, and I was encouraging a home group with this this week, that that's a good thing. It's really good to hear the gospel over and over and over and over and over again. Our hearts need to be confronted with the purity of the gospel because our hearts will only respond to what they are what it is confronted with. So we have to make sure that we are always presenting our hearts before the throne of grace to be confronted with the glory of God, to be confronted with the purity of the gospel. And then the only right response from there is a heart that is continuously responding to the worthiness of Jesus. Continuously. It's like daily bread. Every single day I'm coming before Him. Every single day my heart is being confronted with the King of glory. Confronted with the gospel, with the mercy of Jesus. And our hearts, we have the privilege of responding to Him. Responding to the worthiness of Jesus. I want to talk about um, being a kingdom of priests, what the Lord is establishing in the church, what the Lord is establishing in our lives. That is already happening, but I really believe in this house and in the nations. He's taking every single one of us, the church, globally into a deeper expression of it because it's what He designed from day one. And I really want to show us that today. See, many of us, we've heard of the, the priesthood mostly in an Old Testament kind of context, like the Levitical priesthood. Um, But I want to show you today that the biblical narrative is that the priesthood existed long before the law was introduced. It predates the law by a long shot, okay? And I also want to um, maybe clarify something, because sometimes we use words that um, are good words, biblical words, but... If you um, don't have a healthy perspective of what they mean, you might not catch um, the heart of what's supposed to be shared. Um, And that word is priest. When we talk about being a priest before the Lord, um, there's maybe many different contexts that you could imagine that that is associated with. One of them, um, this is not what it is, but in some denominations within um, Christianity, what some would call a priest, we would call a pastor. That's not what I'm talking about. We're also not talking about an old uh, covenant Uh, priesthood, uh, you know, sacrificing animals and building altars and all of those kind of things. When we talk about being a priest before the Lord, what we're talking about is the ability that the Lord has put in us to be able to minister to the glory and presence of God Himself. So when we talk about being priests, when we talk about priesting before the Lord, ministering to Him, that is our ability to worship. It's our ability to actually engage with Him. Just wanted to make that clear because that word's going to come up a lot. And it's really important that that's a perspective um, that we look at it through. So what I want to do is I want to show us um, today a little bit of the the biblical narrative of God's plan for man. That right from the beginning, um, this is just for Pastor Grant because I'm starting right in the garden, which I know is in his favorite place. Um, I touched on this a couple of weeks ago. Um, But Genesis 1, the creation of man, is one of the most profound um, stories that is so misunderstood um, in in the modern day church that I believe has still left much of the church today searching for their purpose in places outside of the presence of God. We're searching for it in gifting, in our work, etc., etc., etc. And it's because the story of the garden has been reduced to a man who was made to be a gardener. And he made a big mistake, and now we're all kind of being punished for that mistake. <laughs> um, but that's really so far from the truth. Um, Adam, if you, if, when you read Genesis, it says that he was made, uh, God breathed life, breathed his breath into his nostrils, which means that Adam was quite literally formed before the face of God. And after that, it says he placed him in the garden. So, Adam didn't just wake up in the Garden of Eden. He woke up before the face of God and was planted in the Garden of Eden. That's really important, right? Um, Then it says that he was um, put there to tend and keep the garden. Now, we imagine that as as he was gardening. It was like God was like, here's your shovel, get to work. But (laughs) he... And um, so much of us believe that that's our purpose in life. We've got to find the work that God has called us to do. And only once we get that right um, are we walking in everything that He's called us to do. And I want to say that that is a fundamental contradiction to the biblical narrative of God's plan for mankind. He did not put Adam in the garden to be a gardener. The garden is literally the first sanctuary, uh, tabernacle, temple, whatever you want to call it, that existed on the earth. And God's design for man, his intention for placing Adam there was to be a priest unto him. And the way that we know that is when it says uh, he gave um, him charge of the garden and he he commanded him to tend and keep. Those two words, I touched on this um, a couple of weeks ago. I might butcher the pronunciation, but... Um, the word tendon keep, it's halak and nuak, which when used together is used commonly in the Old Testament. And every single time, not most of the time, but every single time those two words are used together, it is talking about the priests ministering unto the Lord. So it doesn't make sense for Adam to just have been a gardener because think about it this is before the fall. So what would he have done in a garden where there are no weeds? There's no thorns, nothing dies, there is no corruption, there is no death. It is nothing but a beautiful place for man to come and minister to the Lord. Man was created to live in the face of God, to live before His face. That's the Hebrew word, when we talk about presence, we're talking about His face, to be that close to Him. And if we miss that right at the beginning, then we totally miss the heart of God in everything else that happens from Genesis through to Revelation. We will not understand why God does the things that He does if we miss why He made man in the first place. We must understand that man was made to be a priest unto the Lord, to minister into his, in His glory and to His presence. God literally gave mankind the privilege of hosting and ministering to his glory on earth as it is in heaven. And we move on a little bit. We know Adam and Eve had uh, many sons. But the next sort of part of the story is we get to Cain and Abel. Everybody knows the story uh, really well. We know that Cain kills Abel, but why does he do that? Have you ever thought about that when you read the story? He does it because he is jealous over Abel's offering to the Lord, that it was accepted by the Lord, but his was rejected. And the the picture to see there is that Abel had a heart that was fully given to God. He gave his best, where worship really was sacrifice. It was costly for him, and he was committed to worshiping the Lord, whereas for um, for Cain, it was more of an obligation. He did it out of obligation, not out of a sincerity to actually encounter the living God. But here is what rocks me. Sometimes we read through these things and we're like, okay, that happened. But why were they building altars and sacrificing to the Lord? This is somewhere around two and a half thousand years before the law was introduced and the Levitical priesthood where there were commands to do things a certain way, to worship and sacrifice in a certain way. Two and a half thousand years before this is introduced, we're already seeing this pattern of worship beginning to form. Where did they learn that? They're watching their mom and dad. They were watching their parents minister to God, where even after the fall, Adam only knew how to do one thing. He did make a really big mistake. We've all been there. But he was born in the face of God and he only knew how to minister to him. And this is incredible because I touched on this a couple of weeks ago when we've been talking. We did a long series on Antioch. I would really, really encourage you to go back on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all of those, and uh, listen through all of those. But one of the things that is so profound about that community, you can read about them in Acts 11 and 13 is that they were caught up in a culture, a a priestly rhythm of life. It talks about them um, worshiping and fasting and praying before the Lord. And the word in the Greek is litigeo, which means a priestly rhythm of life. They caught something of the heart of God where they saw and understood and had revelation of the fact that they were called not just to be a people that meet for the sake of, but actually they understood that they were born for the presence of God and had given all of their lives to ministering to Him and giving glory to His name. And what's incredible about it is when it describes them coming together to worship and to fast and to pray, in the Greek, the word they that is being used there is literally referring to the entire community of believers. That's men, women, and children. Every single person was fully given to ministering to the Lord. So this culture of prayer and worship was so powerful and and literally everyone was like sucked into it because his glory was there. And we see an expression of this right in the beginning where even Cain and Abel learned how to worship and to minister to the Lord because they watched their parents do it. Culture was formed in their lives because of the pattern of their families. And this stirs my heart because for all of us, whether you have kids or you don't, we have the opportunity to set the culture of our homes There is a culture of this house that's meant to be imparted into our everyday lives. Where a culture of worship is not just something that we do on a Sunday morning. That's not enough. Jesus is worth much more than my Sunday morning. Amen? Right? You agree with that? What is the culture of our homes? Are our families watching us value the presence of the Lord? That's not a heavy. That's an invitation to go, am I seeing the worthiness of Jesus and I'm, am I responding to the worthiness of Jesus? Because if I am, that really is something that is evident. You can see lovers of Jesus, you can see people that value the presence of the Lord. And I know this is something that the Lord's really been speaking to my own heart about about, like, what is the culture of your home? I'm not just talking about. The secret place, that's beautiful. There's a lot that's formed and and developed in the secret place. But what happens when you come out of there and you're now engaging with family? You're setting the culture of your home. Is His presence everything to us? So we we see right in the beginning, Adam and Eve, priests unto the Lord. We see how that priestly ministry of life is handed down to their kids. We fast forward all the way. I'm going to jump through a few things just to go a little bit quicker. But we get to Abraham and, of uh, course, well, before he's called Abraham, called Abram. And he's actually called out of modern-day Iraq. That's where he was when the, when the Lord revealed um, himself to him. And it's really incredible. The Lord speaks to him, shares his heart, and says to him, um, I'm go- I am want to bless you, I want to make you a blessing, and I'm going to give you this land um, that all of your people are going to actually dwell in. And Abraham's response to that is he builds an altar... And he inquires of the Lord, he ministers to the the Lord, and he calls upon the name of the Lord in that place. Again, there's this priestly pattern of worship that doesn't really make sense if we think that it only was instituted at a way, way later time. Hundreds, uh, possibly a thousand plus years before um, the Levitical priesthood. And there's this incredible story, He, he worships the Lord... And then I'm just going to fast forward a little bit, but him and um, uh, Lot, they they separate and they they divide uh, all of their riches. And and Lot ends up setting up a camp near Sodom. Sodom gets attacked, Lot gets kidnapped, so now Abraham has to rally some people together to save him. And uh, on his way back, he meets somebody called Melchizedek. You guys heard of Melchizedek before? This rocked me. This is so exciting. I'm like... Lord, I I want to be even more hungry for your word. The word is precious. There are so many treasures in the word. So Abraham, he's been given this promise by the Lord. And uh, he now meets a guy named Melchizedek. And Moses, he's the writer of, uh, he writes, he wrote Genesis. And uh, he specifically says, this is Melchizedek. He's the king of Salem. And then he puts in brackets there just so that we understand who this guy is. And it says that he is a, a priest to God most high. And it's really important that he actually um, clarified that because there are a couple of priests mentioned in Genesis that are not priests unto God Most High. They're actually pagan priests. So he's making really clear there is a king of Salem that has come to meet Abraham, and he is a priest unto the Lord Most High. You with me so far? Salem um, is actually an ancient reference to Jerusalem. Okay, it's really cool. Um, In Psalm 76, which is written by Asaph. He's one of the was one of the skilled singers in David's tabernacle. He was a seer prophet. Um, I actually want to read that real quick. If you have your Bibles, you can jump to Psalm 76. I'm just going to read it real quick for the sake of time. Just verses 1 and 2. It says, In Judah God is known. His name is great in Israel. His abode has been established in Salem. His dwelling place in Zion. So Salem is an ancient reference to Jerusalem. Salem means peace. Jerusalem means city of peace, right? So you can see how the word is the same. We're going somewhere, I promise. Melchizedek means king of righteousness. So he's the king of Salem, which means king of peace, and he is. Um, his name is Melchizedek, which means king of righteousness. You with me? We see a priest has been established in ancient Jerusalem before the people of God have even been sent there. In other words, this lineage lineage, sorry, of, of priestly ministry has continued to be handed down where the Lord has made sure that there is always a people that is offering worship before his presence, okay? He comes to the meeting with bread and wine. Bread and wine, what does that remind you of? Let's talk about Melchizedek. Um, if you want, you can write down Hebrews 7, verse 3. It says, He's with, this is speaking about Melchizedek. It says, He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. Here's what this is saying. What is incredible about this interaction is that Melchizedek, according to scripture, is a foreshadow of of the coming of Jesus. He represents the Son of God, okay? Now, in calling Abraham, in uh, Galatians 3 tells us that the gospel was preached to Abraham beforehand by saying, in you all the nations are going to be blessed. In other words, the promise that God gave to Abraham was a prophetic picture of the gospel, which would come thousands of years later on, okay? Keep that in mind. The gospel is preached to Abraham, the promise is given to him, and in the midst of that, God introduces him to Melchizedek to show how he is going to restore mankind to God. He's going to do it through a king who is also a priest, and that is Jesus, who brings the greater covenant of the bread and the wine, symbolizing his body broken for us, his blood spilt for us. So even in the midst, in in the Old Testament, we just see the story of the blessing of Abraham. But in the midst of that, the gospel is preached, uh, preached to him. He's a man going after the presence of God. And in the midst of that, we see God's plan to restore man to his original created design. Obviously, this is after the fall. To bring us back to the place of being before his face and being priests unto him. Right in the beginning, this is already starting to be introduced There's so many foreshadows, pictures of what the Lord is going to do through Jesus and what that's going to look like for us. And Melchizedek, he begins to pray over Abraham and he blesses him. And this interaction is essentially what what you could look at it as is like this priestly ministry is essentially imparted to the lineage of Abraham, imparted into his family, um, which is obviously Israel. Before the great high priest, which is Jesus, our King of glory, would impart it and reestablish it in all of mankind. You following me? We get to Moses in Exodus. It's one of my favorite, favorite books in the Bible. Exodus has often been reduced um, to the Ten Commandments. Um, And maybe the parting of the Red Sea if we get a little wild and talk about some crazy miracles. But Exodus is incredible because it literally represents a people that were transferred from a kingdom of darkness, which was represented by Egypt, into the kingdom of His marvelous light, which was the glory of God. The Lord said to Moses, go and give this word to Pharaoh. Let my people go that they may minister to me in the desert. The point of their deliverance, the point of their freedom, was to be freed to come and worship before the Lord. You can write down these um, these scriptures. One Peter, chapter two, verse nine, says, "But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, hello, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness." into His marvelous light. Colossians 1 verse 13 says, He's delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The Lord's invitation, we see this in Exodus 19 and in, and in 24, the Lord's invitation was for all of Israel to come and be a kingdom of priests unto God. But when they saw the glory of God on the mountain, we know this story, they were like, No way, is Moses, you go. Effectively rejecting the invitation for an entire nation to be a kingdom of priests. Let's rather have one, and he can just tell us what God's saying, lest we die. And what we see is that God's plan, even from then, was not just to have one person as a priest. Not even just to have one tribe, which obviously ended up being the tribe of Levi. But it was that He was always after a kingdom of priests. The Lord's desire from the very beginning, even now up to Exodus and all the way through, is that He is seeking a people who would live for His presence. Who would live to minister to Him. We get to David. Man, I've I've been rocked by studying the life of David. The only person that we know of that the Lord describes, the Lord himself describes as a man after his own heart. Little shepherd boy who is consumed and obsessed with the presence of God. Loves the Lord, even loves his law. Psalm 119, we probably know that one quite well, it's the longest longest chapter in our entire Bible, 176 verses, it's quite chunky. Um, so nobody knows for sure, but it is, uh, most scholars um, do say that it was David that wrote Psalm 119, and when you look at the the language and the style of writing, it is so similar to a lot of the Psalms that we know were written by David. And here's what's wild is that all 176 verses, every single one of them is about being in love with the law of God. Some of it says His rules, with His testimonies, with His statutes, okay? Like He he loves them, He wants them, He craves them. That's the language all throughout Psalm 119. So when most of Israel saw the law as rules and regulations, and hear me, it was a burden. We know that in Scripture, God's heart was never to burden man with the law. It was to reveal our need for a savior. Amen. But David looked past the tablets of stone, if I can say it like that. And he looked straight into the heart of God and saw his desire for worshipers. That even looking at the law, he could say, I love the law because I see the nature and the character of God God in the law. And I want all of it. I want all of him and I will stop at nothing to get him. Verse 136 um, of Psalm 119, I've been meditating on the scripture for the past couple of weeks because it really rocks me when um, we think about the burden of the law, but we see how David viewed it because he saw the heart of God. Um, The scripture says, uh, my eyes shed streams of, or rivers of water, streams of water over those that do not follow or do not know your law. Now, when we hear that, we go like, well, we want to be free from the law to, to walk in the new covenant. But again, he understood God's heart. He saw past that and saw God's plan to invite man into his presence that he could be with him and minister to him. And because David actually entered into that and experienced the glory of God, he, he understood that it wasn't just something for him. That he wasn't just the special guy that had special access into a special place. He understood because he experienced it that this was God's heart for all of mankind. So he actually writes, my eyes shed streams of water for those who did not know the law. In other words, this is a covenant that God made between man. And I weep because I have experienced him and I know that his heart is for all to experience him. So my heart experiences the grief that the Lord experiences over those who do not know Him. This is wild. The Lord raised up people like David and Moses and Abraham. And even, is obviously, His plan for Adam to be pioneers, if you will, of people who would be relentless after the presence of God. And who would weep over those who do not know Him. David's known for many, many things. Probably the most famous or popular well-known story is of him killing Goliath. Everybody knows that even you know if you've never come to church before. Obviously all of you have you're in church right now but I mean everyone knows the story of David and Goliath. But undoubtedly his greatest act throughout his life was retrieving the ark of God which was symbolic of his glory and his presence. He brought it back to Israel and he invited the entire nation to come and behold the glory of God. Nobody else did that. No one else did that. But David was a man after God's own heart, which means he saw, you're not just looking for my heart. You want my heart, but you want a kingdom of priests. You want an entire world, an entire nation of people to be fully given to ministering to your presence, to find their belonging, their satisfaction, their purpose and the joy of their lives in your glory. And that is the narrative of scripture. That is the biblical narrative all the way through. We put so much emphasis on the sin and the mess ups that Israel makes and they're there and they're a part of the story, but it's not the point of the story. The point of the story is that from the beginning of time, God created man to be before his face, to minister to his presence. And he has relentlessly pursued mankind from the beginning of time to ensure that we could come back into that place that he made us for. Because of Adam's banishment from the garden, mankind needed a second Adam to restore us to that original priestly rhythm of life. We know the second Adam, that's what he's referred to in Romans, is Jesus. God's design for mankind is to live before His face and in His presence. This is the true biblical narrative. That is the point of the story. The component of sin and atonement is not the point. It's incredibly important. We have to understand, if we don't understand the way that God sees sin, then we won't really have much value for what He did to get rid of it in our lives. Sin is the only thing that Scripture describes as something that God hates. Because it is opposite to who He is. But sin is not the point of the story. He took the emphasis off of sin and put it on His face. He said, I'm coming to restore a people to my face. Let's read real quick. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Let's go from verse 5. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Do you get it? For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness. When did he say that? In the beginning, in creation. Hello, are you seeing? From creation, let light, sh- let light shine out of darkness all the way into the new covenant. He's now said, let that same light shine in the heart of man, in the knowledge of the glory of God, in the face of Jesus Christ. His plan from the beginning has always been the same. Always, always, always. Jesus said, when the disciples asked Him, teach us how to pray. We all know this one really well. He says, pray like this, our Father... Who is in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What is happening in heaven? Worship. The culture, the rhythm of life is endless, unceasing prayer and worship. And Jesus said, this should be the way that you pray. You honor the Lord as holy And you speak and declare that the ways of the kingdom of heaven would be established on the earth. Which doesn't just look like people that are, you know, walking in some kind of crazy authority. Although that is part of the expression. But the point is to see worship and prayer arise all across the earth. To see a kingdom of priests established here on earth as it is in heaven. We see, I can't reference it just now, but in Revelation 5, I'm just going to quickly go there. Um, from verse 8, Revelations 5, 8, it says, And when he had taken the scroll, this is Jesus, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God. From every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God. And they shall reign on the earth. You seeing this? This is the point of the gospel. You were ransomed to be made into a kingdom of priests. In other words, the reason that you're alive... What Jesus has restored you to is your ability to come into His presence, to stay there, and to actually bless His heart. In the same way that the Lord is so moved by your worship, you actually get to move His heart. You actually get to bless the heart of God because of what He's done for you. So here's the point that I'm trying to make. What makes the gospel so wild Is that it reveals God's profound value for the hearts of man. His profound value. We're talking about the King of glory, God Himself, coming as a man, fully God and fully man, to live the life that no other man could live, to offer the perfect sacrifice that no other man could give. Man's blood is not enough. To atone for the sin of the world. But God came as man. I just want to read you something. I want to read a bunch of scriptures, actually, if you want to make note of these. But I just really want you to listen to them, for them to hit your heart. This is Isaiah 9. From verse 6, which is uh, the prophecy of Jesus' coming. It says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. John 3.16 For well, God so loved the world, He gave His only Son. And the government shall be upon His shoulder. And here we go. And His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of His government and of peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over His kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness, from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. His name is Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This Jesus, this King of Glory... Did something really powerful. Isaiah 52. From verse 13. It says, Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many as were astonished at you. His appearance was so marred beyond human semblance. And his form beyond that of the children of mankind. And no beauty that we should desire him. This is talking about God coming as man. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken and smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with His wounds, we are healed. The wonder of who Jesus is and what He's done. Just to let that hit our hearts. There's no way to describe it better than the Scriptures. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 says that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers. Not with perishable things such as silver or gold. But with the precious blood of Christ. Like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Just one more. Philippians 2 Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the Jesus who we get to love. The Jesus that we get to worship. The Jesus that we get to praise. This is our King of glory. This is our God. He is the God of all creation. He is the God that appeared to Abraham. He is the God that appeared in the burning bush. He's the God that came in smoke and clouds of fire and glory on Mount Sinai. This is Jesus And he looked upon the sons and daughters of the earth and he said that there is nothing that I would not give to restore them to my presence. To restore them to the way that I designed them to be. I don't know about you, but that does something in my heart when you read about his majesty, when you read about his glory, and that he laid all of that down that we could know him. He laid all of that down so that we could know him. When that hits your heart, it's like you can't help but respond like the gospel demands a response from our hearts. And it's not a heavy, ugly thing. It's, it's beautiful. It's beautiful to know that our King of glory laid down His life. That I could see Him, behold Him, and know Him. That I could actually experience His presence. Not just in moments now and then. But that He would actually put His spirit, His innermost being inside of me. That the, the temple is no longer a physical place. But He has made His people the temple of God. The reason why we experience His glory so beautifully and profoundly, like we did this morning, is because you and I are the temple of God in the new covenant. And He desires and longs to dwell there in a temple not made with hands. There is only one worthy response. And it is to give him everything. To give him everything. You can stand with me. Jesus, you are worthy of our response today, God. Thank you for the gospel. Lord, thank you that you laid your life down so that we could know you. That we could be set free from the power of sin and death. And transferred into the kingdom of your beloved son. The kingdom of your marvelous light and your glory. Lord, well, today we just we respond, we just say that you are worthy, we give you our thanks, we give you our praise that we get to know you like this, that we get to encounter you, Lord, that we get to be on the other side of the redemption story, that we get to be your sons and your daughters, that we get to be a kingdom of priests, that find our joy and our purpose and our satisfaction in life in your presence And loving you, worshipping you, and adoring you. Just for a moment in your own words, would you just begin to thank Him? Just begin to thank Him. Thank Him for the gospel. Thank Him for the price that He paid. Thank Him for the life that you get to live in the glory of God. I thank you that you would stir a zeal for your house, your zeal in our hearts, Lord. A fresh fire and zeal for your presence. Holy Spirit, I thank you that this morning that you would impart a great and deep longing for your glory today, Lord. I thank you that you would open our eyes to see that there is absolutely nothing in this world that would satisfy our hearts apart from your presence. There is nothing in this world that would satisfy our hearts apart from your presence. Father, I pray that you open our eyes today to see the worthiness of Jesus in a greater measure, Lord. Open our hearts this morning, Lord, to receive your dream for mankind, which is to be a kingdom of priests unto your glory. Lord, would you fill our hearts afresh today with your love. Fill our hearts afresh today with your mercy and with your grace. And with the joy of our salvation today, Lord. Fill us with the joy of your salvation today, God. We get to love you, Jesus. We get to love you. We get to encounter you. God, would you release joy into our hearts. Fresh joy that is only found in your presence. Fresh joy, the joy of knowing you, God. The joy, the fullness of joy that is found in your presence. We release that today, God. Let the joy of salvation erupt in the house of God today. In Jesus' name, the joy of our salvation. We get to be your sons. We get to be your daughters. We get to be a people of your presence. Thank you for the treasure of your presence, Jesus. There is no one like you, King of glory. No one like you. God, I thank you for what you are doing in 24-7 church, Lord. God, I thank you that you are establishing a dwelling place for your glory. That like living stones, you are building us together into a dwelling place for you to offer sacrifices, spiritual sacrifices and worship unto your name. God, I ask you for fresh revelation today on what that is, what that looks like, the value that you have for it, Lord. We love you, Jesus.